service. Yes, sir. Amen. Hallelujah. With his redeeming blood, amen? Amen. Amen. Um, for me, I got, I got a little bit of disturbing news. Uh, Sheila Smith, who is, plays the keyboard for us and is a member um, of the church, has come up COVID positive. So, uh, and she has a lot of medical issues she's been dealing with for years. And, and uh, um, we're always talking about keeping her on a prayer list. And so it's important that, that we come together and we pray for her. Um, and just everybody dealing with this COVID. I mean, it's just. It's, it's difficult because, I mean, we, we can get weak and uh, just keep all her church family lift up in prayer. Keep Kim lift up in prayer. Uh, she's failing with uh, her blood sugar. So uh, that's why she's not in attendance this morning. <coughs> we got any other prayer requests? Um, <coughs> Amen. Okay, man. So if you need to uh, want to get in contact and see how Sheila's doing, uh, contact her daughter-in-law, Christy Smith, and uh, to get information on her. Um, just keeping um, people in prayer who just suffered through this tornado. Um, for a lot of us, it hit close to home. Um, for me personally, it was just a couple miles down the road from where I live at. Um, so I couldn't imagine dealing with the loss of life and dealing with the loss of your property and everything that, that comes to it. Because, you know, the property, that's a material thing. But the loss of life is, is extreme. So keep them lifted up in prayer. Um, all the families dealing with all the various weather across the nation and losing the power and the struggle in that, keep them lifted up. Um, it's important that we stay in prayer and supplication for one another. There's power in prayer, and God hears, hears the prayers of his people. So uh, I just urge, urge you to, to, to keep the faith. <clears throat> so we have anything else? Yeah, we pray for David. He's a friend of ours, and he's in jail right now. Pray for David. He's fighting the virus. Okay. Anybody? Terry Hewlin and his fight. We'll keep Terry lifted up. He is doing better. Praise God. Praise God. Rona. being said, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, Brother Mike. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we come to you again, Lord, in your house and your sanctuary, Lord, to praise you, to glorify you, Lord. And once again, Lord, we ask and petition, Lord, for you to answer the prayers of those that are in need. Lord, we send up those that of our church family, Lord, and we just ask that you comfort them, Lord, and that you just give them your love and your the, the, the comfort of knowing that you are here and you answer prayer. Lord, we just ask that you be with the rest of the country, Lord, that's going through this changing times, Lord, and dealing with difficulties, Lord, and the weather, and just uh, be with this church family, Lord, be with the pastor, be with the pastor's family, and and just once again, Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us throughout every day of our walk. And we just ask that you bless this church and your church family. In Christ's name, amen. amen.
Right. 
Good morning, church. Good morning. You have your Bible with you this morning. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter number 15? Luke chapter number 15. Begin reading together in Luke chapter number 15, verse number 11. And he, Jesus, said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father's house and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to be merry. Boy, isn't that a good story? Did you know it don't stop right there? Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And would not go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress thy at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. Father, we are truly grateful for the privilege to be able to gather in your house with your family. And Lord, we certainly pray for those like Miss Sheila that are struggling with physical sickness today. We know that you are as much the great physician today as you were 2,000 years ago when you walked the shores of Galilee. Nothing is beyond your ability, beyond your control. Though it has surprised us, it's not shocked you. And so, Father, we pray that you lay your healing hand on Miss Sheila's body, touch her from the top of her head to the very soles of her feet. We left Terry Hewlin up to you this morning and ask you, Father, that you would heal him. You're, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could even ask or begin to think. Father, we pray for those that are spiritually sick this morning. That need a touch not in their body, but in their soul. And God, we pray not only for those in the world, but those within the family of God. Help us to see ourselves through the lens of Scripture. Call us from where we are to where you would have us to be. We'll give you the praise and the glory for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is, without a doubt, the most famous of all of the parables that Jesus taught. I mean, if you have attended Sunday school more than twice in your life, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. I believe it has become so famous because most of us can identify so well 
with this wayward son that leaves home. But the text doesn't deal with the problem child alone. There's another child in the story. We'll call him the polished child. And as we look at this text this morning, I I hope we can get through it in the amount of time that we have. There's three things that I would really like to point out. One, that there is a problem child, and there's one in every family. Two, that there is a problem child, and they're in every church. And then when we come to the conclusion of the message, I want to look at Jesus' point in the parable to begin with. So so first, let's look at the problem child. Now the Bible says in verse number 11, and he, Jesus, said a certain man had two sons. Highlight that, underline it. Put quotations around it because there's a lot of debate over that word alone. Bible scholars and students of Scripture disagree with one another whether these sons were lost or saved, whether they were believers or unbelievers, whether they were part of the family of God or part of the world. I believe that we'll see in the text that based on the characteristics beginning with his first son that he was lost. I believe that Jesus is painting the picture of the restoration of a rebel. I say that because first, his disrespect for the father. Did did you notice that in the text? The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, in Jewish culture, just like our culture, we talk about inheritance. Inheritance is what a child receives that belong to the father at the point of his death. So, in essence, you really have this son though he might not put it into words, it's revealed that in his heart, he had just as well the father be dead. It was a great insult to the father for the son to come and ask him for his portion of the inheritance. Not only did it suggest that the son in his heart thought he'd be better off if his father were dead. But secondly, it's an insult 
to, to, to the provisions made by the father. This kid's living in his father's house. He's eating his father's groceries. He's living on his father's farm. Let's say it this way. The father's taking care of him and it's just not enough. Boy, we're living in a day and time. Synonymous with the text that we're reading. So he disrespects the father. Don't, don't, don't take that lightly. If you'll remember in the book of Exodus, God gave ten laws, ten commands, ten rules to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, you can literally divide those laws into two sections. You, you could put 40% of them on one tablet of stone. And those four commandments, the first four, deal with our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And then the second tablet, or 60%, deal with our relationship with one another. The first tablet teaches us how to be right with God. The second teaches us how to be right with one another. Now, I don't mean be right with God in a saved sense. It's a list of God's moral attributes and requirements. We don't get saved by keeping the law. The law is our schoolmaster. It points out our flaws and our failures. But more importantly, it shows us our great need for the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. Isn't it interesting that when God begins to give us laws in relation to how we get along with one another, he doesn't begin addressing adults. He begins addressing children. And he says, Honor your father and your mother, that you may live long upon the land that I give thee. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a requirement of God. So when this young man disrespects his father, he's disrespecting and dishonoring God. He's guilty. He's a rebel. He's broken the law of God. I don't know that I've ever seen a time in my however old I am, 52 years, I think, when there's been as much disrespect of young people toward their parents. And, and folks need to understand that when you do that, it's not a mistake, a mishap, an error in judgment. It's breaking the laws of God. And you're guilty of offending the holy God of heaven. Now, I want to push this just a little bit because 
This ain't just for young folk. I, I want to point out that there is no expiration date on Exodus chapter number 20, verse number 12. The text did not say, honor your mother and father until you turn 18 years old. No, it says, honor your father and your mother so that you might live. Because the wages of sin is death. And, and so, while we make light of this sin, and we want to get right down into the far country, we need to understand that falling into the far country and finding yourself in a pig pen is a digressive state. What I mean is, the devil's not looking for you to jump in water over your head. He just wants to dip your toes in it a little bit. He'll pull you the rest of the way in. So he, he first disrespects the father. And then... Secondly, he departs from the father's house. Notice how gracious the father is. And he divided unto them, not just him, but them, his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. It had never really dawned on me before, just this week in studying this text, that Jesus doesn't give us a destination. What I mean is, he doesn't tell us that this young man was headed for any particular city. He doesn't name a town that this boy was going to. He just said he left on a journey, his journey to the far country. You see, this young man wasn't concerned with a destination. What he wanted was distance. It didn't matter to him probably where he was going as long as he got away from the Father. B because, you see, in the Father's house, there's things you can't get away with that you can get away with in the far country. I, I hope some of you parents understand what I mean. That there's things your youngins ought not be able to get away with at home that they might get away with at school somewhere. And so he just needed some distance, some, some space. And I'm telling you, there's some people in a dangerous position because they're creating space between themselves and the Father's house. Say, preacher, where they, it don't matter where they're at. 
What matters is where they ain't. You see, Joel, I've often said that if you find yourself one step away from the Father's house, you are a step closer to the far country. It's a short trip from the Father's house to the far country. It don't take you long to get there. And the Bible says when he got to the far country, he wasted his substance, his resources, his finances, that that the Father had given him. He wasted it, listen to this, with riotous living. Now, we need to understand that word riotous because there's a lot of folks not only out in the far country, but in the Father's house that are engaged in riotous living. You see, when you hear that word, we automatically think open rebellion. We think getting down in the dirt kind of sin. But the word literally means it carries the idea of thoughtless living. Living without logic. Making decisions without thinking things through. This guy, he's left the father's house and he begins using the father's resources without even thinking about what he was doing with the resources that the father gave him. And pretty soon, that kind of living leads to more foolishness. Oh, I can see him bellied up to the bar now, can't you? He left the father's house, and now he's buying rounds for the house. We'll find out here in just a little bit that not only was he engaged in a thoughtless lifestyle, but that thoughtless lifestyle led to immorality. It's out of the words of his brother, and boy, I'm going to really hit that here in just a minute. But according to Scripture, and Jesus doesn't debate it, the father doesn't debate it, the younger son doesn't debate it, but he left the father's house, and according to the older brother, was shacked up with prostitutes. In his words, he devoured your living with harlots. Well, that's some pretty strong language, but it come right out of the Bible, so I'm going to stick with it. How about that? So he took the resources that the Father God gave him and spent it on prostitutes. Now, I just said a while ago that one reason we love this story so much is because many of us in here can identify so well with what we call the prodigal son. What I mean by that is, is maybe everybody in here hadn't found himself 
engaged in prostitution. But you were entrusted some heavenly resources. And spent them frivolously. And, and, and maybe still today, God has given you resources and you still live without thought. Isn't it sad that there is a huge number of people, intelligent, educated people, living in this country, attending our churches, don't even know how to balance a checkbook. Or maybe it's not that they don't know how to balance the checkbook as so much as they don't want to balance it because that'll keep shoes out of their closet. Ladies buying pocketbooks, they can't put no money in because of what the pocketbook costs. Frivolous, thoughtless living. He's departed, and then the Bible says that a famine comes. And as a result of the famine, his substance dried up. He didn't prepare for the future. I don't know, maybe, maybe some kind of a, a natural disaster. Maybe God shut up heaven over the far country and it didn't rain and the crops didn't come in. But he was unprepared. And he began to be in want. Now here's the interesting thing. We don't read that he wanted for anything in the Father's house. It wasn't until he got to the far country that he began to want and be in lack. And, and became so hungry in this time of famine, homeless and hungry, to the point that the Bible says, listen to this, he would have eaten the husk that the swine did eat. He was in a place in his life, he would have humbled himself to the point to eating the slop taken out to the pigs that he was entrusted to take care of. Now, boy, here's a startling reality. That's the point that he's at, but the Bible says, but no man would give to him. He's ready to eat pig food. But they won't even let him eat with the pigs in the far country. Why, why is this text so important right here, right now? Because you can be in the Father's house one minute and be out the next. And I'll promise you the far country is a dangerous place. What began with simply 
disrespecting the father leads to the depravity of the pig pen. It didn't start out with gross immorality. It began with disrespecting the father. And see, we have a way of trying to categorize sin. I mean, certainly it can't be as bad for me to disrespect my parents as it is to be living and and, and sleeping with prostitutes. And what we seem to fail to understand is God doesn't categorize sin like we do. You see, no matter how little you think it is, sin will always, always take you further than you ever intended to go. Keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And strip you of more than you ever dreamed you'd have to give up. That's the way with sin. Now, boy, I'm glad the story of this son doesn't end right there. It wouldn't have much to shout about this morning. But it's in that position that the Bible says, and when he came to himself. Now, a moment ago, he's in the far country. He's living without thought. He's not logically thinking through his decisions, but then he comes to himself. And, and I believe that he comes to himself because internally, spiritually, the Father is calling him to himself. You see, Jesus said that no man cometh to the Father but by me. And then he said, and no man comes to me except the Father draw him. This boy didn't just wake up one day and say, boy, life's bad here. No, there's something going on behind the scenes that you can't see with the natural eye. But if you look through the lens of Scripture, you can see though this son is in the far country There's a heavenly father that loves him just like he is right where he's at. Matter of fact, the very next words out of his mouth are, I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now he's talking to himself right there, but in in verse 21, he makes his way back to the father's house and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. We we have what's become an outdated and old-fashioned word for what's taking place in this young man's life right now. We used to call it repentance. It's a message that the church seems to be shying away from anymore, but is still necessary when it comes to salvation. 
repentance. He had a change of mind, a change of belief. He saw his situation differently, and not only did his mind change, but his behavior changed. Did you know that's shouting ground? You see, repentance is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. In fact, Paul writes to a church crowd, a religious group, and he says, do you despise the richness of God's goodness and his forbearance and long-suffering, knowing not that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance? How many of you can can look back to a point, a place, a time in your life where, well, you were living in a pig pen. And God granted you repentance. Somebody ought to shout that God knew where you were at. And came to the far country. Oh, you might not have saw him. But he showed up or you'd have never came to him. You'd have never came to your senses. If God wouldn't have called you to himself. And and then notice that there's not only this idea of repentance, but even before the ascension of Christ and the birth of the church in Acts chapter number 2, Jesus in this story, this parable, paints a picture of regeneration that is to come. For this, my son, the father said, was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. I don't know why we want to debate whether he was lost or not. Jesus said he was lost. And not only that he was lost, but that he was dead. Friend, when God saved you, he raised you from the dead. He took his life, eternal life, and placed it inside of you. And you can't die, will never die, don't matter what COVID does. When you leave this world, you're going to the next. It's it's not a matter of you ever dying. You died the only death. You're ever going to die as a Christian the day you got born again into the family of God. That's shouting ground, Michael. I think the reason we got a problem with shouting is because some of you have been saved so long you forgot the depths of the depravity that God drug you out of. Which brings me to this polished up brother. 
the one that never left the father's house. The one that was in church when the prodigal came back home. All of us knows a problem child. Most of you got one in your family. And if not, maybe you is the one in your family. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, but, but I'd be willing to go on record as saying there's probably more older brothers in the church house than there are problem children in the pig pen. There's probably more elder brothers in the church house than there are younger brothers out in the pig pen. And so I want to talk to y'all older brothers. Those y'all been in the church a while. The Bible says... That when the younger brother came home, the father threw a party. Now, some of y'all religious crowd going to have a problem with me saying that's a party. Could I say this? Every Sunday morning ought to be a party. Amen. Every Sunday morning ought to be music and dancing. Amen. Well, where's he dancing at? <laughs> the only people I ever see dancing is Billy. Joel will be over there dancing sometime, and Michael back there in the back. You ain't got to have rhythm to dance in the spirit. Listen, listen, listen. You ought to still be shouting that God drug you out of the pig pen. If, if, if God saved you from your sin, that ought to put a song not only in your heart, but that ought to make its way to your lips. It ought at least put a smile on your face. Some of y'all come into church on Sunday morning and look like you've been sucking on lemons all week. Come on now. Come on. I'm going to put a mirror up here just to let you look at yourself next week. Y'all say, boy, I feel sorry for that preacher and vision. And... This ought to be the most exciting place in Brunswick County. We ought to be the most excited people on this planet. But, but the, the older brother, he, he hears the music and the dancing. And, and rather than get his groove on, he gets bitter about it. Now his elder son was in the field. You see, you get in trouble when you spend all your time working and don't spend no time worshiping. That's right. That's exactly right. you, you wear yourself out even serving God. If you don't spend some time worshiping, you're going to become bitter and angry. And you'll take it out on everybody else because you don't want to deal with your own stuff. Now, his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew, listen, near to the house... He heard music and dancing. And he didn't go up and 
opened it. This is his house. This is the father's house. Rather, he stood out in the yard and called for one of the other church members. Come on out here. And he called one of the servants and asked, what, what do these things mean? What, what's all that shouting about? There'll always be one of them in the crowd. See, some of y'all won't shout because you're worried about him. Oh, what's so-and-so going to think? You ought to worry about what God thinks. Some of you can't lift your hands up. Oh, that's just too charismatic. That, 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 what, will, what, will the, what will a pastor think? Get your hands up. What, is, what does this mean? And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Your brother just got saved. He got rescued. He got born again. He got adopted into the family of God. He was dead and he's alive and he was angry. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This guy never left home. And his brother gets saved and he's angry. That, that word's only used eight times in its Greek rendering in the Bible. Isn't it interesting that one of those eight times is when Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the judgment. You see, this elder brother is as much of a rebel as was the problem child. He hears some good news and it makes him mad. He was bitter not only toward his brother. But his father, he was angry at God. I had somebody tell me just a while back that they were angry at God. They're mad at God. What I'm supposed to do about that preacher? Tell them about it. You think he don't know it? But you better deal with it. Because regardless of how you feel, you don't have a right to be angry with God. God's never done you wrong. God's never sold you down the river. You see, this brother's problem wasn't that the father had been so bad to him. But that he was so good to his problem child. I'm, I'm afraid that, that while we'd like to pretend it doesn't exist, 
There's a whole lot of this goes on in the church house. You can't be happy for what God's done for somebody else because all you can focus on is what you might miss out on. He, he says, I, I've been here all along. I, I just come out of the field. I've not one time broken your commandments. He, he's even mad about his own religion. Hey, did you know that religion without regeneration will make you bitter? It'll make you angry. It'll make you mean-spirited. Religion without a relationship will make you mean to just about everybody around you, especially those that God are blessing because God's not blessing your bitterness. And so here's this brother... And listen to what he says. Your son, not, not my brother, your son, hath wasted all your living on prostitutes. Now I'm thinking to myself, I read the whole story, Billy, several times even. And not one time do I see the younger brother going to his older brother and confessing. He didn't take his confession, Joel. So, how does he know what the younger brother is doing in the far country? Because as mad as he is, you know he didn't go check on him. And I just have to conclude. That he's making assumptions here. Jesus don't argue with it. The boy don't deny it. He's not given the opportunity to. You see, that's the way religious people are. They'll talk about what you did behind your back, but ain't got nerve to come to your face. So how did he find out? Where does he draw his... Conclusions from? Well, I'm thinking that maybe because he's the older brother, he's remembering when he was a younger brother. Maybe he's mad because he ain't getting to do what his younger brother's doing that he used to be able to do and that he would probably still do if he thought he could get by with it. Maybe, maybe he's angry because he'd be doing the same thing if he knowed he wouldn't get caught. And maybe... Maybe he's angry because he sees himself in the actions of his brother. Did you notice that the Bible did not say the older brother was working in the field? We just assume that because that's what people do usually in the field. 
just wonder if maybe he was doing something in the field that he couldn't do in the father's house. And he's angry with his brother for doing openly what he was doing in the closet. He's pointing his finger And I hear you, Rory, but it's not an assumption. It's a biblical assertion. Because Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is that they were hypocrites, play actors. We'll get to that in the point of the parable here in just a moment. Regardless He's been in the father's house and he's angry with the father, the brother, and himself because he's been there the whole time. Here he is. The brother comes home. He knows he's there and he's not happy. He's angry. And he begins... Pointing out all of his brother's faults. He wasted your money. He was shacked up with prostitutes. I can see everything wrong in his life. Daddy, can you not see it? Could, could, could I suggest to you that if all you can do is find fault with prodigals coming home, the problem is not the prodigal, it's you. Amen. He's bitter. He's angry. He's, he's resentful. He even resented the grace of God. Thou killed the fatted calf when this thy son came home. But you never killed a fatted calf for me. Finally, the point of the parable. Notice verse number 32. The father said, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. We really like the first portion of this story because all of us can identify with him so well. At least most of us can. And if we're not careful, we miss the entire point of why Jesus is even teaching this parable to begin with. Notice the context from verse number 1 of chapter number 15. Then drew near unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. When Jesus showed up, sinners had a way of hanging out. 
Isn't that wonderful? But verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured. They complained, saying, Listen, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So, so here you have, literally, I believe we could call it a, a, a picture of the church by way of typology. We, we could move it into here. The, the church is gathered on Sunday morning. And somebody that ain't been in a while or maybe we've never seen before walks in. And the Pharisee sits there and begins trying to find fault. What, what, what's wrong? And, and listen, friend, li listen, let me clue you in on something. If you look for fault long enough, you'll find it. If you look at me long enough, you'll lay your finger on something you don't like. Problem is, it ain't your business. The point of the text is, is that when a sinner comes home, it's time to rejoice. He teaches three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son all three times have one common theme and that's Jesus is partying in heaven when one of the lost sheep come home. He's rejoicing. He's, he's, he's celebrating. Now here's the thing. It, it, would, it would be one thing for, for us to come in here this morning and hear this story for the 5,000th time. And leave the same for the 5,000th time. But, but somewhere, every one of us sitting here this morning can find ourselves in this text. Every single one of us. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're joining with us online and if you're honest with God and you're honest with yourself, you're not in the pig pen, but maybe you're, you're one step away from the Father's house. Maybe you can look backwards in your life and, 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 and say, you know what, there was a time a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, three years ago, that I was so much closer to the Father than I am right now. And if that's true, if that's the case, there's distance there. Not open rebellion, distance. And I want to suggest to you, God's not the one that walked off. Amen. One step away from the Father's house is a step closer to the far country. And, and maybe... Truth be told, there's one or two or ten of us that if we're honest with God, we'd have to say, oh, I went way past the far country. 
Pastor, I come to church this morning, but spiritually, I've been in the pig pen. That that started as distance was dangerous, and it overwhelmed me. I didn't mean to go as far as I did, but here I am. Maybe there's somebody sitting in here this morning that you can look backwards and remember when you were there. And like this prodigal, you came to yourself. You ought to give God some glory this morning. You ought to be in a spirit of worship and praise and adoration that God did not leave you in the ditch he drug you out of. Now, don't get mad at me. But, but, but I know us good enough to acknowledge and admit that there's times in our life that we get bitter toward people. Brothers, sisters, family. And if that's you this morning, I want to suggest to you that the sin that you're covering up with all of your religion is no less sin than the pig pen that the brother was living in. And so I would encourage you this morning to repent of it. You see, Michael, the first son, was outside the father's house because he didn't have a heart for the father. But the second son was in the father's house but he didn't have the heart of the Father. Where, 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 friend, do you find yourself in this text this morning? In the Father's house? In the far country? In the pig pen? Or maybe... Maybe you're in that place today that you're close to the Father and you can rejoice and worship because He came to you where you were at. And maybe, just maybe, maybe there's a person or people in your life right now that when you think of them, it's not good thought. It's always in some kind of negative context. You can lay your finger on every fault and failure that they have. I would encourage you this morning. You can be in the Father's house and yet not have the heart of the Father. See, bottom line is, Miss Natalie, 
when we start this text, neither one of these sons are saved. The younger son gets saved, but the story closes on the older son, angry at the father's house, but standing out in the front yard. Religious people can sometimes be harder to bring to a place of restoration than what the rebels are in the far country. And, and the reason being is because some of you have been in the Father's house so long some of you was born in church. My wife, my, my children, they went to church nine months before they was ever born. They was raised up in church, and, 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 and a lot of folks are raised up surrounded by a Christian environment. Listen to me, that don't make you saved. Sometimes I think those are the hardest people to reach because they make statements like this. Well, you know, I, I didn't really, I, I wasn't really out there. I, I, you know, I wasn't into all of the drinking and the drugs and, 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 and I wasn't into the party scene. You was lost. Lost. There is none good but one. That's God. I want us to stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Y'all look sad. <laughs> Joe, tell them. There ought to be a Holy Ghost party going on this morning. ought to be a Holy Ghost party going on. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I, I, I love about Joe? Is every time I ask Joe, Joe, how you doing? You, you, a lot of times on Sunday mornings. And Joe's answer is always the same. Living the dream, man. <laughs> and, and, and here just a while back, we, were, we was crossing paths in the restroom. And I asked Joe that same question, and he answered me differently. And he, he did answer, I'm living the dream. And then he went on to say this, and, and, and I won't quote him, but literally what he said to me was this. Even, it's good, even when it's painful. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Father, thank you. Thank you for the goodness of this day. And Lord, I ask you to take this time, most important part of this service, draw us to yourself. God, your word says that our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. You know where we are better than we do. And Joe is so right. You're instrumental in bringing us to ourselves and to yourself. 
So God, we just pray that you'd use this time to bring us from wherever we are more closely and more intimately into relationship with you. Have your will in your way and we'll give you the praise, the glory for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let us sing. I just, I just said amen, and when I did, I heard myself through the speakers, and I know I was sitting here singing, Joe, 
I just hope I wasn't singing out loud. <laughs> if I was, thank y'all for not walking out. Um, and those of you that remained online, thank you for staying with us through the torture. Uh, remember church council meeting um, Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Um, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us today. Um, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God said, come on home? Come on home. He welcomed us back. I, I wish I'd have had time to got to the, uh, maybe next week. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for loving unlovable people like me. God, I'm so grateful that you not only love the unlovable, but you forgive the unforgivable. You made a way for that possible on the cross. And God, you use the unusable. And Lord, I'm looking over a room this morning just filled with so much potential. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to get in sync with your purpose, your plan for our church in this community. Help us to be that city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Protect us from our own flesh, our own carnality. God, we, we identify with Paul that, Lord, I, I confess to you that Lord, sometimes the things that we ought not to do, that's what we do. And the things that we ought to do, we, we do not. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall save me from the body of this death? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Help us to honor you. Be with us and bless us. And help us to be a blessing to those around us this week. Christ's name we bow before you give you the glory the honor and the praise that you're so worthy of amen